Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Happy at Work podcast. We are so excited to be joined today by Anthony Onesto, who is the Chief People Officer at Suzy. Anthony, welcome to Happy at Work podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Great to be here. Um, so we're going to jump right in. We really want to first learn about you and your career journey. And what are some of the events that brought you to where you are today? Uh, wonderful. Well, I don't know if we have enough time uh, for that, but I'll try to make it as quick as possible. And hopefully you'll get the reference of Reader's Digest version of my uh, my background. So I am a failed accountant. I actually graduated with an accounting degree. Uh, and within the first year, I really didn't love doing it. And the company I worked for said, you're, you're really not good at this. And they fired me. Uh, and so I, I really had a, a early career pivot. Thank goodness. Uh, and went to the recruiting firm that had placed me and said, hey, I don't want to do this accounting stuff. And I was you know, born and raised in New York. And at the time, New York, it was like finance. You had to go into finance. That's all everyone was doing. And I was like, I really don't want to do that. Uh, and so they said, why don't you recruit for us? I said, all right, that's an option. I'd love to do that. And I got bit by the recruiting bug. I, I loved recruiting. I loved the conversation, the, the hunt, uh, so to speak. Um, and I started doing that and, and moved into like a boutique, uh, search firm that was doing, uh, ironically financial service recruiting. But at the time, this, all these dot coms were being created. And I said, there's a business opportunity here. I had a friend who was in a VC and they were looking for all this talent. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do that. Instead of doing the financial services, I went to the owner of the recruiting firm and he's like, of course, there was very little friction to do any of these things. And, it worked out really, really well. I mean, we were helping these young technology companies recruit. Uh, and then they would also ask me, like, hey, do you know how to put an employee manual together? And we need some policies and all this sort of stuff. And I, of course, I said, yes, yes. And always is my my uh, my mantra and started doing that. And then one of them actually invited me in to be, quote unquote, co-founder uh, and help them expand. And I said, you know what? I've done it enough looking from the outside in, I want to go in, I want to experience it. And then I got bit by the startup bug. And I've been in startups my entire career, helping to build from few people to many people, thousands of people, uh, primarily in the recruiting and HR space. I like to say, you know, it's oftentimes changing the wheels of the box as it's moving. So the company's growing, you're building policies. And I did it for the dot-com boom and bust, the mobile boom and bust. Um, most notably here in New York, uh, helped to build Fresh Direct from 40 people to about 3,000, which was an online grocery company. Uh, and just being in that space, I love being in that. I'd like to say I got my PhD in startup, um, just from the 20 plus experience I've had. I've closed companies. I've sold companies. I haven't IPO'd yet. That's on the bucket list. If there's such, I guess there's an HR bucket list somewhere, but, um, I'm looking forward to doing that hopefully with, with Susie. Uh, and then on the side, I do a bunch of different things. I advise HR tech companies. I built a comic book to help uh, 
encourage more girls to pursue STEM uh, and just all these creative things and wound up here at Suzy, which is uh, for the last five years where we're really uh, disrupting the market research space. That was such a great Reader's Digest version. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So tell us more about Suzy and what Suzy is about and what you do there. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, Suzy's been in existence for five years. It's actually a pivot story, which is unique for me, although it's still a building from that pivot. Uh, but it's a pivot story from a company called CrowdTap that was in existence. CrowdTap was an influencer marketing platform that was spun out by our current uh, CEO and founder, Matt Britton, when he was with the social media marketing agency. And the intent of CrowdTap was to coordinate and activate influencers across the United States for brands. So Pepsi would reach out and say, hey, I want you to, I want a bunch of uh, consumers to take pictures with, you know, our, our new Pepsi product. And they would take pictures and they would get points for taking those pictures and those points would ladder up into gift cards. So they would get rewarded for that. Where over the years, it actually became a little bit more passe unless you're Kim Kardashian and you're, 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 you know, talking about crypto, uh, and hopefully paying your taxes, but, uh, it came, it became passe for consumers to do this and also it became a legal friction point because you had to disclose that even at the most nominal pieces of, of consideration, you had to disclose what you were, you were getting. And so the business was struggling. The board had called Matt. Matt had spun it out, stayed with his with his company. Board called him back up. He had sold his previous company. Said, "Hey, we're struggling. Come on in." So he came in and he looked at this little one piece of CrowdTap, where instead of doing this influencer activation thing, it was actually just asking their opinions, like, "Hey, what do you think of this? And what do you think of that?" And the amazing thing there, which was really the sizzle of the steak for for Susie that it was almost real time. And if you're familiar with market research, it takes a long time. It's pretty fragmented market. We were coming in going, I can connect you to consumers almost instantaneously. And thus, Susie was born in 2018. And we've been just grabbing market share. So we are in the market research space. We're a tech platform. So a lot of folks like to sort of categorize Qualtrics, SurveyMonkey, if you're familiar with those type of tools. Um, but what we've done is in the market research space, there have been three pillars, the panel companies, which are like the people answering the question, the emails, those that's a separate interest industry, billion dollar industry. There's the tech piece, survey, Mookie, Qualtrics, and then there is the human capital, the consulting groups that are out there. We actually took all those together, smushed it into one company called it Suzy, and we could just do so many really cool things real time. We can do advanced market research. We can retarget because you're in our community. Just so many things that we can do. Uh, we like to say we're not Uber-esque, uh, especially from a culture perspective, but it was a fragmented, you know, couldn't get a tactic cab, created Uber, same thing here, just too fragmented. We brought it together and it's created a, an incredible market opportunity for us. That is amazing. And as I um, mentioned to you right before we, we started the podcast that I have been a marketing professor for the past six years and um, always had a market research assignment, always and, and have always been super interested in behavioral economics and how that, you know, influences consumer trends and then the impact on brand. And um, it's just so interesting. Um I have to ask out of curiosity, is it a B2B business model or can you as an individual sign up for Suzy if you have a small firm? I'm just curious. It's a great question. It, it's absolutely B2B. And in fact, in our first couple of years of product market fit, 
we went kind of shotgun, not individual, we went to small, mid-sized business. And really where we excel both from a revenue and a retention perspective is in the enterprise space. So some of the world's largest clients, billion dollar revenue, are using our platform to do market research. And that's really our sweet spot. That's excellent. So there's um, a segment of the population that you have recently uh, wrote a book about. And um, it's near and dear to both Laura and my heart because we have Gen Z kids who are in college, graduated from college, in college. And I have also uh, one in college, one high schooler. Um, but I myself have done a lot of research in my own work around Gen Z um, and kind of what are what is their level of influence? What are they looking for in a workplace? What are their consumer habits? So tell us about your book and tell us what you learned through this process. Wonderful. And I appreciate your your focus, and especially in market research. So we should definitely take offline and, and have a chat. And that really interesting. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the book is called The New Employee Contract, How to Find, Keep, and Elevate Gen Z Talent. And two things. One, COVID comes in and I'm like, okay, I have all this. Even I don't I don't have a ton of extra time as a CPO and doing all these other things. I did have now extra time because you really couldn't go anywhere. And I started thinking through, okay, how do I want to position my thoughts into the world? And, and someone had suggested publishing a book, which sounds super easy, but is not. Um but I wanted to do it in a way that not only, you know, pontificated about this contract or the relationship between employees and business. I also wanted to do it in a way that was beneficial, like almost prescriptive to a certain degree. So people can take something out of it, just not some person just spewing what their opinions are. So when I started doing and the beauty of, of doing a book like this is I had a research tool available to me. Um, and so we went out and we started looking at what is this generation? We started asking and we did both qualitative and quantitative uh, discussions, focus groups. It was just absolutely beautiful to have a tool like this to do it. And what I found is what I was thinking about in terms of this, this contract that needed to be reestablished or, or recreated aligned a lot with what uh, Gen Z was looking for. And so these two worlds coming together, I said, this is the book. And so I started writing it. I started actually voice to text into Google Docs. And anytime a thought popped up, if I was reading something or looking at a, a Susie uh, research uh, question. And so started putting this together. And I said, this is this is my statement. Uh, and And I felt like when millennials came into the workforce, I'm a Gen Xer, like, like um, and I have Gen Z kids. I have one in college, two in high school. Um, when millennials came into the workforce, we were all shocked when they came in and wanted something a little bit askew from what we've known. Like their, their norms were different. Uh, and it was just fascinating to me that we weren't prepared for that. So this was my idea. I want to take a book. I want to give it to every CEO, every HR leader, every leader and say, here, we, we need to be prepared. And what I saw also in the research was, with previous generations, a little bit less with millennials, we compromised for certain things. It was just culturally normal to compromise. If we had high pay, maybe we didn't look at the diversity of the senior leadership and companies that we worked for. What I noticed with Gen Z, it was they weren't compromising at all. And so we were going to be in an impasse in the future where this new idea, this new construct was coming into an existing, uh, new idea was coming into an, an existing construct and what's going to happen is we're going to start attacking it. And we're already seeing that. We're seeing, you know, uh, Gen Z are lazy or Gen Z are entitled. Or, and the same thing happened with millennials. So I really wanted to take 
a researcher's view of it and say, let's explain first before we start attacking this virus. Uh, and that was really the, the spirit of the book. Oh, I love that so much. And the we compromise thing. I mean, I think there's, when you look back on them, I think about all the times I know I compromise and I just, I, I thought I didn't have a choice. Right. And that's the, the courage that you see yeah. this, you know, what you're talking about it, of, of course you have a choice. You always have a choice. Um, I just, I think that's so important. That's so good. So what are some of the, the misconceptions? Um, that you really see around Gen Z talent at work. Sure. And, and I do want to step back to your comment for half a second here. I, I give us this. Those were our cultural norms. We also came into a very employer uh, leveraged market. Um, yes. So we, you know, I want to give us some grace that, you know, but we and we also had lack of we didn't have LinkedIn. So we didn't know what the executive team at any company looked like, you know, and who they were for, for any reason. Now, Point. this generation, going back to your 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 question, unprecedented access via mobile to any piece of information and frankly, anything. Right. You think of Amazon next day, like this generation just has. So they are very good, misconception or not, they're very good at research, which is great. They're, they're good at going out and finding things. Uh, and they're absolutely digitally savvy. Misconceptions is they're kind of like what we saw with millennials to go back to that generation is they were a generation which if they didn't find growth in their job, they would, they would move and they were called job hoppers, right? Again, when we don't understand something, we just label it in, in certain ways with our own, you know, custom norms. This generation, everyone thinks that they're, you know, they're going to just jump like, and, and, and they're not. They're actually safety and security are actually paramount for this generation. And the reason why is when we did the research is they have gone through so much change. And these are different. We talk about economic change. They've actually, you're going through a little bit of it right now on the front end for a lot of tech companies in 2023 20, uh, with all the layoffs, but they've seen it through their parents' eyes, right? 2008 and all these other, you know, and then they've seen a boom, but they also have seen layoffs. Something goes wrong. Their parents are laid off. So this idea of security, they've seen climate change challenges, right? So again, creating uncertainty, racial and social unrest, uncertainty. So the one big misconception in this generation is that they're looking for safety and security. That's the one big, like, even for me, I was like, oh, okay, if we do all these things, and we can talk about that in a minute, all the things that companies need, they're going to be loyal. They're going to want to stay with your organization and feel that safety, but it has to be a two-way street. And that's the employee contract. That's the concept at a high level is like, I give you something, you give me something and there that, that contract exists. That is so interesting because, um, it's, I I've had many, many conversations over the past year around is Gen Z fundamentally different or is, are they just at the life stage that they're at and they're going to assimilate and turn into every other generation once they, you know, once they, have get married once they have kids once they want to buy a house and to your point a lot of the research that i've seen is first of all this is the first generation that may not buy houses they're waiting much longer to get married and not necessarily adhering to traditional norms as it relates to family um they're they want experiences they want to travel so 
I, I, uh, really appreciate this research and your book is on order for me at Amazon. <laughs> I ordered it this morning Wonderful. because I just think it's, um, there are these fundamental differences because of the way they came up. And let's not forget to mention the global pandemic during their formative years. None of us. Right. I, 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 like you, I'm Jen X. I grew up in the, um, you know, peace and prosperity of the nineties. <laughs> um, and you know, what our, what our children's generation has had to deal with is pretty unprecedented yeah. I think, of anyone who's alive today. So, um, so really curious to see what your advice is. Um, first of all, what can we learn from this generation, the way that they're thinking about their lives and taking care of themselves with coming out of the pandemic with a heightened awareness of, the accept, you know, these accept their accepting nature of mental health and um, promoting well-being and really looking at holistically how do they look at experiences and take care of themselves. What advice would you have for managers to kind of take these lessons that we learn from this younger generation and apply it to a workplace to create more well-being at work? I, I, I love that question. And just going back to to your point about them, yeah, I mean, I think there will be some acclimation to certain norms, but I won't count on that. I would not count on that. If I'm building strategies, if I am a marketer and I'm thinking of Gen Z, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna build strategies around that. I think again for this generation, and a lot of folks were thinking, oh, because the talent market was so leveraged to talent, where again we were it was more company based, that they had this opportunity to say, no, I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to compromise. And is that going to change? And I, I just don't see that in any of the research that I'm seeing. Maybe, who knows, a giant boulder comes down. We things, you know, major things can change their, their customs. But to your question, I mean, what can we do? It's the first step is to understand. And I think that's good for anyone, right? Like anyone that comes into your purview as a leader. Try to understand. We don't take enough time to sort of step back. And I think oftentimes there's too many frameworks and like we have to remember, is this a quadrant thing or like we just have to get back to like sort of and, I'm, and just so basic to me. And I love things in threes, but very simple. Just you have to get back to the human element. Understand that person. Talk to them. And, and you're a researcher and I work for a research company. It's quant and qual, right? It's we get the numbers, but we also want to see and hear and, and feel and do all those things. Not as a leader, you should not feel your employees. Let's make that clear. Um, uh, empathize with them. Uh, but so when we think about this generation, understanding, them. let's not attack it. Let's not think, oh, they're entitled or they're this or that. Let's try to understand what is it? Why is it? Why are they the way they are? like uncompromising in terms of digital experiences. So I talk a lot about with recruiting um, very, very specifically. And that's where I take sort of the POV and go super, super scripted. If you're in recruiting and you're trying to recruit Gen Z, they are going to look at your LinkedIn and they're going to look at who are your executive leaders. So you have an Instagram post that says, look at us, we're diverse. And maybe you're celebrating pride. They're going to look at your executive leaders and if they're all white males, they're going to go, they're going to call BS. They're going to be like, I'm not even going to apply. So you're not even going to know that that potential candidate was a potential candidate because they're going to do their research. So you can't, you can't fake it anymore. You have to actually do the real things, the, the, the real stuff that we've seen, you know, a lot of companies starting to do over the last couple of years. 
So when you think of a digital experience, it varies prescriptively. Once they say, okay, I want to work for this company, you know, they're going to go into your website and into your career page. What does that look like? What is that? Remember, this generation iPhone was launched kind of midway or like short near where they they were much younger. So this generation, and I know as a parent, my kids were like working on iPads when they were super young and it was just intuitive. If your digital experience is something that's from 10 years ago, where you have to click on something, fill in this form, then you connect your LinkedIn, and then it asks you for your resume, and then you have to, they're gone. Like, they don't have patient, and if it's not mobile, never happening, right? So these are some of the things we have to think about from a company perspective. From a leader, the important things are purpose. That's number one in terms of what their the purpose becomes very important in this generation. And that's often, that, that's something we've been exploring a lot in HR over the last, you know, I would say last decade or so. But it's also very hard if I am working for Philip Morris. I'm not sure how we build in purpose there, but it, they might not work for a company like that, right? So uh, it's really thinking about purpose as a core fundamental and then not only establishing what that purpose is, but living that purpose. Uh, super important. You talked about it, work-life balance. I call it work-life integration. Balance is very difficult. But thinking about that, thinking about how health and mental health in this generation, again, custom norms for them are to be okay with saying, I have a mental health issue, or I am on the spectrum, or I am, like, they are identifying an open where I think our generation was not. It wasn't a, it wasn't a norm for us. And in fact, if we said it was actually a negative connotation, right? So it's really understanding them, understanding these different elements. There's so many different elements that I talk about in the book in terms of what they're looking for, but that health and well-being, uh, that, that balance or that integration, so to speak. And then they're also very much more interested in the quality of output than the quantity. Um, and I, I often talk about, I, I used to sit next to the super smart individual that came in early and left in late left late and and produced nothing and was fired um and so for this generation they're not they don't want to punch in and punch out they want to know hey if i could do something with high quality in four hours that should be okay maybe i move on to something else or do something else but it's and and so a lot of this on the recruiting side fairly easy there's a degree and i'm i'm starting to build out a matrix so i can help companies think about this a lot of this is hard Building a purpose is hard. Thinking about reconstructing your jobs for quality of output is hard. Um, so it's, it's it's a whole bunch of things. And, and just one more thing. Um, so I was on a, a webinar like this, and I was talking about all the things that that this generation wanted. And someone in the chat goes, are they asking for too much? So I talked about, like, you know, they want mission, purpose. They want wealth, health and well-being. They want, um, you know, quality of work. They, they want racial equity and your, you know, diversity. Pick one of those that you're, that you're not into. Pick, just pick one of those that you're, that what doesn't like anything. They're not, you know, like the things that they're asking for, like, oh yeah, I can, I can, I can get along with that. And I should have been asking yeah. for that for such a long time. That's such a good way of putting that, right? It's somehow we've just, been okay with it not not having purpose not having work-life balance and it's just such a shame but to your point give her give us a little grace for the situation that we were in yes but the, your your point around um quality versus quantity is so interesting to me i've noticed that in my son he's kind of in his first job 
and he will work really, really hard. And then he'll just say, okay, I'm, I'm done. I did a lot today. It's two, you know, and I'm going to go <laughs> like, is that okay? Like, aren't you worried about what people are going to think? And then I'm like, what am I saying? Stop. He's like, I'm <laughs> working hard. I'm getting results. I, I, he just doesn't have that voice in his head that's telling him to, you know, be something else. And so I just, I love that so much. And it's very I true. Catch myself, I catch myself worried for him. About, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Cause that's what we're, you know, that's the construct. Taylor isn't right. The 40 hour work, like we were yes. brought up and, and it still exists by, by the way, today. And I was, I was on another, uh, a different webinar, um, on the same topic. And, and the founder was like, what I struggle with is I pay you for 40 hours. And I expect to get 40 hours. And I'm like, well, no, actually, are you paying for the hour? Hours? Like you're, you're paying for something that, that there's, that doesn't exist. There's no, no such thing as an hour. It's not, you're paying for the output yes. of that hour. And so your construct needs to, and it's, I'm, I'm saying this because, you know, as authors, it's so easy to go, yeah, do this, right? It's, and I'm also an operator. So we, I haven't figured that out on the operation side because this is a very, it's a much deeper and it bigger is. construct. It's so ingrained in us too, right? It's so ingrained. So I just love, I love all the things you're saying. We'd love to hear a little bit more also about Ella Adventures. Um, tell us a little bit about this project and how it intersects with your work. Sure. It's so Ella kind of uh, uh, marks or, or concentric circles around my need for creativity and, and creating things and, and and a problem that I saw years ago with the amount of women in in a tech company. So I was with a, a global tech company. I was a business partner to our CIO and CTO, and I just started you know working with that group. It was a global organization, about thousand people in the tech and data sciences group. And uh, I ran a pivot. I, I I pulled down all the demographic information. All good HR folks. First thing we do is pull down an Excel spreadsheet and we run pivot tables and we're like, yeah, okay, where, where are people? What, what levels are they at? Where's comp? All these, all, all these things. And so I did gender and I looked at it and I'm like, ah, I must've missed a whole bunch of rows. Like sometimes when you do pivot tables, you miss a bunch of rows. And so I just did it again. And I'm like, this looks really weird. Like, like almost off. Like it just, it just, I'm like, how is it that we have a thousand plus employees and there are three women? Can't just can't like I just it didn't equate to me. It was a fact. I ran the pivot table, believe me, three or four times after that. And it was a fact. And I it just I have two girls and a boy at home. Now they're teenagers. Back then they were they were, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about maybe five, 10 years ago. They were much younger. So I went home to them and I just started like sort of like they were on their iPads. Like, do you know how that works? No, not really. I'm like, some, there's a there's a there here or here or there, whatever you want to call it. Right. So there's a there there. I said, I need to do something, but I need to do something that is both short-term thinking and long-term impact. So the short-term thinking was, how do I get more women into my current company and our tech and data sciences team? But at the same time, how can I impact the community? And so I was just into my brain. I said, what if I create like a cartoon character? I'm like, God, that's stupid. Nobody, that's not going to work. What, like what HR person creates a cartoon character, but it kept itching on my brain. It started in my commute to New York City and started writing stories of this. My youngest is Ella, so it was Ella the engineer, and it, she would just solve tech problems. Like her town would have tech problems, and she would just solve it. And then she, an enemy popped up, and anytime technology would would not work for us, we'd say it's glitching. So the glitch was this a, now to be AI 
type of construct that would just be a mischief in her world and she would just fix it. They would call her and they just wrote like just really like one paragraph. It was just itching on my head. And I met with this individual who is former Marvel producer uh, in the comic book space and said, I have this idea and I just itching. He's like, why don't you do a comic book? And I'm like, I've read comic books, but I've never like even thought it. Like, how do you draw and all that stuff? There's no way I can do any of that. He goes, I got to, if you have the idea, I can get writers, I can get, I can get artists. I, I, and I learned so much about this process of creating comic books. It's really complex. There's so many of this art, there's penciling, all this sort of stuff. So I said, all right, I have a, I have someone who can help me do this. Now, how do I manifest that? So I went to the current company that I was with. I went to the CTO. It was a wonderful individual, super smart, very empathetic leader. And I said to him, I said, I have an idea. We're going to do a comic book. And what we're going to do is when we're going to recruit women, we're going to hand them the comic book. Instead of giving them our business cards, here's the comic book, which is a comic book to promote more women in tech and STEM. I'm like, what a great story that would be, right? Who wouldn't want to go work for a company that did a comic book? It's so unique. He's like, I love it. Literally within 10 minutes, he's like, I love it. I have a discretionary budget. And the company sponsored the first Ella the Engineer comic book, three stories. Uh, and it was just so wonderful. Then I met Janet Foudy, who was the, who was the former CEO of Deloitte, now the chairperson. She's like, I love this. Can I sponsor a bunch of books? And I'm like, yeah, of course you can. She's like, even I want to bring some of my own women in tech into the comic book. I'm like, yeah, I've seen Scooby-Doo. I know how that works. I'm in. Let's do it. And we've done five comic books with Deloitte. We've done a graphic. They have been such a wonderful partner in this whole thing and just really a great partner, Janet, her whole team. And now we are trying to pitch an animated series. So uh, it has come full circle. And so that's the only wow. project. That is, um, well, Amazing on many levels. What a wonderful creative outlet for you to, to, you know, kind of put your creativity and, and the influence of your own children into an initiative, a project that it will, will have that long-term impact over time. So thank you for doing that as, as, yeah. as a woman who, um, you know, like Laura is oftentimes, um, the only one sitting at the table or, or nowadays sitting in a zoom, a zoom room <laughs> together where you see all these, you know, very homogenous faces looking back at you. So, um, really wonderful. Anthony, this was, um, a power half hour. I, I would <laughs> love to just, I could talk to you for hours more. Would love to have you back. We would love to have you back. Um, maybe us to check in. Um, but, uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us. This was a wonderful, wonderful discussion. So good. Thank you, Anthony. (laughs) Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the happy at work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon. Mm-hmm.